The Bible is filled with stories, stories about people, people who we, well, let's be honest, we oversimplify these people. The woman at the well, she was a sinner. The Samaritan, he was good. Judas, he was bad. The two thieves that were crucified next to Jesus, well, that one's kind of a split decision, isn't it? One was good, the other was bad, right? Maybe, maybe though we're too quick to oversimplify these stories, maybe we should learn to look beneath the surface, look for real people, real lives when we read these stories, which is what we try to do today. All on the way to answering the question, what do we really know about the two thieves? Welcome to the Sky Pilot Podcast that explores questions of faith, spirituality, and religion. I'm Dan Matthews, and I don't have all the answers, but I do enjoy the questions. Welcome to the podcast where every question is an invitation into a spiritual quest, and you're invited along for the journey. Today's podcast isn't a moral lesson. It isn't about taking a story and telling how it helps you be a better person. Today's podcast is simply about one thing, discovering how our perception of a Bible story might change if we just look beyond the surface. So let's go straight to the story. Jesus is condemned to die via crucifixion. He's nailed to the cross, and on either side of him hangs two thieves. Now, if you remember the story, there was a good thief, a.k.a. the penitent thief, and of course the bad thief or the unrepentant thief. Well, let's look to the Gospel of Luke for the actual story. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Okay, now a little background from me. The very first sermon I ever preached outside of a preaching class was on this story. After my first year in seminary, I served as a chaplain at a Baptist hospital in Knoxville, Tennessee, and I preached in the chapel service there in the hospital. The first sermon I ever preached as a real sermon, meaning not preached in class, was preached, I don't know, to four or six people, something like that, who were sitting in the chapel. Oh, and there were others who listened to the sermon, but I don't have any idea how many other people in the hospital were tuned in from their hospital rooms or their offices via closed-circuit TV. I remember that I worked really hard on this sermon. I was nervous because... The truth was, back then, I was little more than a kid, and I certainly looked like one, with one single year of seminary under my belt. And rather than my first sermon being in the safety of an Episcopal church, where all of my formation had taken place, I was preaching in a Baptist hospital that just seemed very foreign and strange to me. Generally, the feedback I heard from, well, from a number of people after I preached was something like this. Huh. We expected you to be really bad, but, but that, wasn't, that wasn't too bad. Matter of fact, you kind of sounded Baptist, which is really, I think, their way of noticing that I tend to be a bit more animated when I preach than most people expect from an Episcopalian. I took these comments 
as compliments. Not that they were necessarily intended as such, but back then I figured anything better than you suck was a ringing endorsement of my preaching. The point of this story is that I survived and got fairly positive feedback. Well, the real point is that I have always felt a strong affinity for this story from the Bible ever since preaching that sermon. I have preached on this passage many times since, and pretty much I've always preached some version of the same thing. These two guys are both being executed for their crimes, stealing. We don't know what they stole. We don't know if they were a pair of thieves who got caught together. We only know that they were thieves, and they had very different reactions to being executed, and different reactions, therefore, to the presence of Jesus next to them. First, I will tell you that as I look back on it, well, as I look back on it, I'm a little embarrassed by those sermons I preached on this story. Oh, they were fine. I even think there was some useful stuff in them. But if I give you an overarching synopsis of all of those sermons that I've ever preached on this story, if you want to reduce them to kind of their major theme, these sermons, their basics would be fair to say that I preached something like this. These two thieves were both having a similar experience. They both were enduring the exact same treatment. One responded in anger, and the other saw God in the moment. Now, my sermon on this passage, in the end, admonished people to look for God in their suffering. When you're afraid, overwhelmed, and in pain, open up. Allow God to be with you. And as I tell you this synopsis of my sermons, I'm reminded of something. Remember that story? You've probably heard it. It actually, I think, started its life as a poem that is most frequently known as Footprints in the Sand. The poem tells the story of someone looking at the path they trod through life, the path being represented as footprints in the sand. There was a second set of prints, and those were the prints made by God walking alongside this person as they made their journey through life. Then the person, as they looked at the prints of their life, realized that there were also times that there was only one set of footprints. The person asks God about those times. In essence, the person says, I was going through tough times then. I needed you. And there's only one set of prints. Where were you? And the person is told, told by God, oh, those single set of prints aren't yours. Those are mine. During those moments, I carried you through your difficulties. That's why there's only one set. The first time I ever heard this story, this poem, about the footprints, I was at summer church camp, and I'll have to say it was nice. It wasn't transformative, it wasn't earth-shattering, but it was a nice, comforting story for a 14-year-old kid. I think it was only later in life that I had enough times of real struggle, pain, and difficulty that that poem, well, it felt a little simple. It just felt like it oversimplified really difficult times in my life into a sweet, religious, sentimental postcard. And I think that synopsis I just gave you, my criticism of the poem, would also be a fair description when I said it felt like it oversimplified a really difficult time. That would be a fair description and interpretation of my sermons about these two thieves. I mean, these two guys were being executed. They get to feel and experience and react to that experience any way they need to. I don't get to take their story, which... I don't really know, and turn the two of them into some sort of eternal archetypes. So I'm reading something recently about this story, and it gave some new information. It was interesting because it was some new factual information regarding the passage. Not new as in nobody knew this before, or lots of people knew this before. New as in I hadn't known it before. 
And it made me realize how much I'd probably oversimplified their stories. So allow me to tell you their story a little differently. Perhaps some new information comes along as I tell you this. Now, as you know, Jesus was condemned to death. Actually, there were two men who were condemned according to Scripture, and neither one of them were the two thieves. The two men were Barabbas and Jesus. Scripture refers to Barabbas in several different ways, but the Gospel of Mark seems to get the most specific when it tells us who he was and what he was accused of. According to Mark, Barabbas committed a murder in an insurrection. Now, we don't know any of the details more than that. But that seems to fit, since crucifixion, being as horrible as it was, was not just the general run-of-the-mill way that Romans executed people. It was normally reserved for slaves who had done really horrible things or those accused of treason. In essence, both Jesus and Barabbas were accused and sentenced for the same crime, the crime of treason. Now, as the Bible tells us, there was a tradition of the Romans releasing one person during the festival of Passover as kind of a special treat for the Jews. There isn't any historical reference for that tradition, the tradition of someone being released as a part of Passover, in not amongst Judaism, not amongst Romans, not amongst any old sources. It just doesn't exist anywhere. But it also isn't entirely unbelievable, particularly since the story really doesn't hinge upon it. In other words, nothing really important hinges upon the reality of Barabbas being released or not. Jesus was arrested, accused, sentenced to death. None of that hinges upon this detail. So it seems not important enough to have made it up. The drama in this biblical story is really found in the juxtaposition of their stories. Matter of fact, though they are referred to differently, Barabbas and Jesus had the same first name. They were accused of the same crime. They were both found guilty and both sentenced to death. The difference is that Barabbas, as we now know, was released, and Jesus went on to be crucified between the two thieves. Wait, wait a minute, something doesn't add up. You said both Jesus and Barabbas were accused of treason and were sentenced to death. That's right. You said that crucifixion was normally reserved for big crimes like treason. Uh-huh. But, but that doesn't sound like, like two thieves would have been executed in this way, does it? That's good. And probably not. And I'm guessing most of you listening saw that problem as well. Okay, let's go back to that passage from the Gospel of Mark that tells us about Barabbas. The Gospel of Mark tells us not just about the crime of Barabbas. It says, Now a man called Barabbas was in prison with the rebels who had committed murder during the insurrection. So he wasn't the only one being held. What many scholars believe, and it seems to hold up with Scripture once we give Scripture a closer read, is that those other people in prison with Barabbas were not just the other rebels. They were, in all likelihood, those two thieves who were crucified with Jesus. If Barabbas was imprisoned with the others who took part in the same crime he did, then they would have been sentenced to death with him. And given that there seems little chance, knowing Roman law at the time, that these two guys executed are actually thieves because Romans wouldn't have wasted this kind of execution for thieves. 
they must have been Barabbas's companions in the conspiracy. And so there's the new understanding of the story. They aren't thieves. They were with Barabbas, who most scholars, as I said, also believe was likely a leader in the insurrection. So they are sentenced to death with Barabbas, but Barabbas gets picked to avoid the execution. He gets off. He gets to walk away. And his two companions, they're not only suffering the indignity of a horrible form of execution, they are doing so with the knowledge that Barabbas is out there wandering around somewhere free. Is Barabbas standing off at a distance watching? Can they see him as they die? Or had Barabbas gone home and is nowhere to be seen while his compatriots die? Look, the point of this story is not to change what we learn from a story. Instead, it is intended to change how we look at the story. It's not a certainty that they were co-conspirators of Barabbas. But it is more likely, given what the Bible said and what we know about Roman law, that they were co-conspirators rather than simply two thieves. Now, does this suddenly change the lesson we take away from this story? I don't know. Does it? The point is, at least for me, it brings a depth and texture that makes me see these two men as something more than two-dimensional archetypes. It reminds me how often I oversimplify the stories that I read in Scripture, how much richer and more interesting Scripture can be when I, when we take time to see the people involved as real people, with real lives, real challenges, real pain. Hey, kind of like you and me. That's all for today. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you get notified of future episodes. Also, if you have some questions for me or would like to make some comments about the podcast, I would love to hear from you. My email address is dan at skypilot.zone, S-K-Y-P-I-L-O-T. That's dan at skypilot.zone. And on your spiritual journey, may you ask questions, seek answers, and boldly go wherever the quest takes you. Thanks for listening to SkyPilot Faith Quest. I invite you to send me a question or leave a review. And remember, the sign of a strong faith, solid religion, or healthy spiritual journey is not certainty, but that you keep asking questions.